As Michigan's most powerful and influential voice for business, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce stands ready to serve you. Go to mychamber.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-M-B-E-R.com to learn more now. There's straight up an otter in the Detroit River. What the hell? I'm Kerry Jr. the second. This is on the line, and you're listening to PhD candidate Eric St. Marie's recent discovery. We need to get to the end of that bridge. <laughs> Eric studies marine biology and Greenland sharks at the University of Windsor. And just a few weeks ago in April, Eric decided to go for a stroll. I was having my coffee and looking at my email, and my partner, uh, who's actually from Detroit, he suggested we go for a walk by the river before starting work. And we're just talking and and walking along the river on the Windsor side, and then uh, suddenly I spot something kind of brown and fuzzy floating in the water. And that's when things got really interesting. So we're like, okay, it's too, it seems too big to be a mink or a muskrat. Also didn't have the flattened tail like a beaver has. So that really only left otters as, as the only option. But I really didn't think we could see any otters in this area. We were kind of jumping up and down, be like, oh my gosh, is that an otter? <laughs> it was swimming kind of away from us towards the Ambassador Bridge. There's a little like walkway that juts out into the Detroit River. And so I was, it looked like the otter was going to cross right with the end of that walkway. So I, I was like, we need to go there now. So we ran uh, a few hundred yards to the walkway and out to the end. And then as I'm looking around, I just hear a splash right next to me. And within like three feet of where I was standing, the otter just like kind of popped out and and dove back down. Uh, And that's where I got the kind of um, video that I ended up kind of sharing and posting online. We for sure scared it away. (laughs) It's going to come out somewhere far, so keep your eyes peeled. Eric had spotted what's believed to be the first otter in the Detroit River in about a century. It's got fellow scientists, animal enthusiasts, and Detroiters really excited. And not just because we have a new, adorable neighbor. After prior decades of dumping industrial pollutants into the river and the sewage flow we saw last summer from Detroit's flooding, the otter seems to be a sign of a return to healthier waters. It shows that our pollution prevention and our pollution control programs are working. Hopefully, the otters are just the tip of the iceberg. It's one of the single most remarkable ecological recovery stories in North America because of how polluted the Detroit River was. On this week's episode, we tell the story of the Detroit River, how we got here, and what that little guy means for your summer dip at Belle Isle. Let's jump in. All right, Eric, so you record this video of the otter. What happens next? I posted on Twitter. I was just like, I saw an otter in the Detroit River today. That's crazy. But then I, a friend had shared with me um, this blog post. The title was basically like, Dr. Hardig is hopeful that one day uh, river otters will return to the Detroit River. And then I was like, wow, that's, I feel like a good reason to send him an email. So I, I sent him an email and then he got really excited and, and got back to me uh, almost right away. It was just wonderful or we would not have the proof, right? You, we would have stories, right? And, and of course we need evidence and, and uh, 
Eric provided the evidence. That's who Eric was referring to, John Hartig. He's made the Detroit River a huge part of his life and brought the importance of Eric's sighting to light. Yes, my name is John Hartig, and I'm on the board of directors of the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy. I'm a visiting scholar at the Great Lakes Institute for Environmental Research at the University of Windsor. Where are you originally from, Dr. Hartig? I, uh, I live on the U.S. side, and, okay. and so I grew up in, uh, you know, suburban Detroit and Allen Park and lived around a number of different places, you know, but yeah, Southeast Michigan's my home. Okay. And what's your history with the Detroit River? Did you ever take time to enjoy the, the water? Absolutely. Ever since a kid, you know, I've uh, enjoyed the water, you know, water and, you know, with uh, family picnics on Belle Isle as a kid and canoeing back then and they had bicycles built for two that you could take around the island and i used to fish it during some of the the bad years you know which wasn't the smartest thing to do but uh um but yeah i got an interest in the outdoors and i just followed my passion and went on to uh uh, specialize in the Great Lakes and the cleanup and the restoration of the most polluted areas of the Great Lakes. And that includes both the Detroit River and the Rouge River. How did the river form and what's, what was the ecology of it at that time? Can you speak to that? You know, the Detroit River was formed by, you know, the Wisconsin Glacier, you know, the retreating of the glacier left these amazing uh, freshwater seas called the Great Lakes uh, and uh, their connecting channels. So uh, uh, the Detroit River is a connecting water body where all the water from Lake Superior, Lake Michigan, and Lake Huron flows through the Detroit River down to the lower Great Lakes, Lakes Erie and Ontario. We had coastal wetlands, you know, along the shoreline. We had habitat that would meet the needs of all these species. And, And what happened once humans arrived on the scene? You know, First Nations used to live here. And of course, they were attracted like the rest of us were attracted by the water. And um, they did not impact the the river. They had a stewardship ethic. And of course, their population density wasn't as big as what we have now. And so in the late 1600s and early in the 1700s, Europeans came over, French voyagers came looking for fur, primarily beaver, but also river otter to meet the fashion design of Europe. And so we were like an epicenter for the fur trade. But what happened is we hunted and trapped these animals to local extinction called extirpation. We extirpated them. Of course, that's not all we did to the river. During the so the worst pollution years, so the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, Carrie, there was so much oil in the river that river otter and river and beaver could not survive. The oil would coat their fur and they couldn't thermoregulate and they couldn't keep warm. So they would they would have died in the river. So we could they even if they tried to come back during those decades, they couldn't have come back because of all the oil pollution. So all those high quality uh, species that needed high water quality were gone with the development of Detroit and the suburbs. We hardened the shoreline. We lost, you know, 97 percent of our coastal wetland habitat. When we built the shipping channels, we lost our 
spawning habitat for uh, fishes like lake sturgeon and lake whitefish and walleye. So, um, but we have learned from our mistakes and we are working on that. Tell me a little bit about some of the efforts specifically that were made over the years. Yeah. So people started to speak out about clean water and clean air. And it wasn't just locally, but it was throughout the country. That led to the first Earth Day in 1970. And in our case, we had Earth Day events all through Metro Detroit and the UAW, which was the United Auto Workers, and the CAW, the Canadian Auto Workers, actually held a wake on the Detroit River during the first Earth Day to symbolize the death of the river, to raise awareness. So that public outcry led to an amazing set of laws. The first one was um, the National Environmental Policy Act of 1970. So it's the Magna Carta of environmental laws, it's called. Uh, the Canada-U.S. Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement, which is heralded throughout the world as a unique mechanism for two countries to protect and restore shared waters. That was 1972. What a set of accomplishments, Carrie, because people spoke out about cleaning up rivers and caring for their home. I'm curious, though, because these policies and these acts sound fascinating, but what were some of the actual rules and guidelines in those policies that helped uh, restore the river? So think about it. Now, all wastewater treatment plants have secondary treatment, enhanced wastewater treatment plant with phosphorus removal. So um, controlling and regulating the quality of effluent that could be discharged, that happened through law. So the, um, the foundation of our environmental protection and cleanup programs are these environmental laws. As you said, these policies have been in place for, I mean, we, we, we 50 plus years now with updates along the way. Um, and as you're saying now, we've seen a massive improvement in our water quality. Um, and so, you know, most recently the sighting happened, yeah. Eric sees the river otter. Um, what a thrill. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, what are your first thoughts about that? That's amazing. Like, uh, you know, as a, I'm a scientist, so I, you know, we sort of been tracking this, you know, they were introduced in 1986 by the state of Ohio and Ohio DNR, bringing them back to some high quality rivers and streams in eastern Ohio on the eastern basin of Lake Erie, you know, down towards Pennsylvania, Cary, and they thrived. And then they started moving out and they went over to Cleveland and, you know, the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Then they moved in the early 2000s. They headed west again and they went to Cedar Point and they're there and to Ottawa National Wildlife Refuge, another very clean place. Then in 2019, they likely made it over to Pelee National Park, and it was the first time since the park was established in nearly 100 years that they were back in that region. And so we, as scientists, were thinking about it, well, we should be next. Coming up, what the otter's appearance says about us and the world we live in.
As Michigan's leading statewide business advocacy organization, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce is on the job every day standing up for job providers in the legislative, political, and legal arenas. We are the unified voice of thousands of members who employ over one million Michiganders. We work with trade associations and local chambers of commerce of every size and kind in all 83 counties of the state. We know business in Michigan. Learn more today about how we can protect, connect, and strengthen your business. Whether that's advocating on your behalf at the Capitol, helping meet your informational training and networking needs, or boosting your bottom line visibility and voice, we're on the job for you. Make my chamber your chamber. Go to mychamber.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-M-B-E-R.com, to learn more now. And we're back talking to Professor John Hartig, a Great Lakes scientist and board member of the Riverfront Conservatory, about the return of the river otter. Professor Hartig was just telling us that an otter was spotted at Point Pelee National Park heading west in 2019. And it was the first time since the park was established in nearly 100 years that they were back in that region. And so we, as scientists, were thinking about it. Well, we should be next. And if we can provide them the proper habitat and the quality of the water, they will do well. So literally less than two weeks ago, Eric was on that walk on the Detroit River and, and he saw the head pop out of the water. He had the wherewithal to run out on a pier right underneath the Ambassador Bridge and take photos of it and do a video of it. And, um, and what, a, what a thrill for him. Oh my gosh, come out, Mr. Otter. So at first, like it's the doubt was more that I know what's like kind of very common for the area, which is the minks and the muskrats. Eric St. Marie again. But what I was seeing wasn't matching up with that. Though he focuses on marine biology, he keeps a lookout for different species of wildlife wherever he goes. So uh, usually I'm skeptical if someone's like, oh, I saw some really rare animal. And so I was like, hey, what are the most common like species that we might see? And then I was like, well, it can't be that and it can't be that. So here's the next step. Slightly less common, but more common than otters would be a beaver. And then that wasn't it. So then I was like, okay, I guess I could pretty confidently say it's an otter. A straight up river otter in the Detroit River. And then after when we ran to the end of the, the little walkway under the bridge and it came out right next to me, I knew 100% it was an otter because I actually like saw it right in front of me. That's the last thing I was expecting. Eric, how many interviews have you done about this story? Yeah, I mean, I've um, honestly lost count. Uh, it started off at first I was like oh it's just a little local news story with like uh, CTV and CBC here in Windsor Um, and then I was getting contacted by some local Detroit kind of news things and then a day after all those stories ran then I started getting contacted by like uh, CBC's like national radio program and then by uh, CNN and by like NPR and stuff like that. I was surprised at just like how many people were interested in, in, in this and, and how positive overall the reaction was. And I think it is a 
positive sign that the local ecosystem is kind of getting better. And hopefully the otters are just the tip of the iceberg and we're going to have other species, some that you might not be able to really see from the surface, like a lot of fish and invertebrates and that kind of stuff. But hopefully it's a sign that the whole ecosystem is getting better. So did it surprise you uh, that the water was healthy enough to support an otter, given, especially given the fact that we had the large sewage dump that happened in flooding last year? Terry, I was really surprised. I was really surprised that uh, it was clean enough for them. I was hopeful. I wanted it to be clean enough. But then the scientist takes over and says, well, is it really clean enough? But then to have this proof that they are back is pretty amazing story that uh, uh, that river otters are doing well now. Um, you know, we, we don't know how many river otters are in the Detroit River, but um, we're hopeful that they will, um, you know, be able to reproduce and find the habitats they need, and they will become part of a permanent fixture, fixture of the Detroit River. Who is studying and following and doing follow-up on this to make sure that water quality stays good, but like whether or not we keep these otters here and safe? Like how, who's following up on all that? In terms of the quality of the waters, you've got federal agencies like U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. You've got uh, state agencies like Michigan Eagle, um, Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, tracking the quality of these waters. Then you also have, um, on the other side of the border, you've got Environment and Climate Change Canada, who's doing similarly, and Ontario uh, Ministry of Environment, you know. Um, so then we also have uh, research organizations in Canada. So we have a, a variety of universities studying it as well. And then non-governmental organizations carry, you know, groups like um, Friends of the Rouge, Detroit Audubon, Friends of the Detroit River. Uh, these kinds of groups are doing citizen science to have uh, more eyes on the river to watch, to monitor, and track. And that is good news for all of us that they are all doing this. But what a good news story for all of us that the river otter is back for the first time in a hundred years and that the river is clean enough for river otter. It's a sign of hope for all of us because if it's cleaner for river otter, it's cleaner for you and me. Let's get to that if it's safer for them than it's safer for you and me part. I've swum in the Belau Beach in the Detroit River for some years now, I mean, since I was a kid, and I'm sure a lot of people in this region can say the same. How safe has it been to swim in that water? You know, if you were swimming at Belle Isle, that's, that was, you know, that's away from the shoreline. And, um, and so that you're getting mostly upper Great Lakes water there. And it is, uh, it has been genuinely fairly clean and safe to swim. But if you're swimming from a boat or swimming along the shoreline, and if it's just rained, it's probably not safe. You know, you do not want to, because of these, uh, you know, the stormwater coming in and combined sewer overflow points, that we have to still solve that problem and prevent pollution at its source and not allow raw sewage to come in. So, um, uh, it's one of our, our challenges yet, but we have seen dramatic improvements, you know, and that's, that's, that's the good news, but we have more to do. Just a note, Belau has definitely seen occasional beach closures for issues like E. coli before. 
But speaking of stormwater, the Detroit River had 12.4 billion gallons of sewage at various stages of treatment dumped into it during the flooding in Detroit last year. So while the river's new otter seems to be okay with the quality, we checked in with Michigan's Department of Natural Resources about the safety for human swimmers this year. We spoke with the chief of Southern Field Operations, Scott Pratt, about Belisle. With the river and the way, and as, as fast as it moves, it's one of our least concerns. But we always, as all of our beaches throughout the state, we always take precaution and we make sure we're testing weekly. Um, so we're providing a, you know, a safe place for people to swim. He said the DNR partners with Wayne County to test from Memorial Day to Labor Day. It's always clean. So the otter is just proof, I guess, that shows that the water is just great to be in. Do you have any excitement about spending more time in the water, given this discovery and what it might mean for the water's quality? Yeah, I'm not sure of any kind of areas where it's kind of easy to swim in the Detroit River itself, but I do go swimming and paddle boarding uh, often in the Detroit River. My, my partner lives in Detroit, so we'll go to Belle Isle often and go uh, paddleboarding around there. I'm definitely uh, happy that that it's clean enough for us to kind of do these things in, and, and especially for people who still fish and, and eat fish out of the river, better water quality is definitely a, a good thing because yeah, you don't want to eat fish that's contaminated with heavy metals and that kind of stuff, or you don't eat too much of it. So it really is a good thing for for both the animals and for humans for the river to get kind of cleaner. Did you happen to give this otter a name? Uh, so you're not the first person who's asked me that. No, I haven't thought of a, a name for it yet. Um, I don't know. So I'm open to suggestions if you if you have any. I do not. I don't have any suggestions on top of my head. And, you know, I got to we have to develop a relationship first before I, I give you the, <laughs> right. the title first. We have to you know, I can't just spot you on the uh, in passing. Right. It's. I think it's also really fortunate that Eric was the one who also spotted it because he would know enough that this is important to, to record as an indicator. It is, absolutely. He knows the significance of something like that, and he had the discerning eye to know that the the head was, you know, too big for a mink or a muskrat, and he, he, he hung in there to look at the tail and didn't see the flat tail, so he knew. So it was just wonderful. Um, well, is there anything specifically about your story that you'd like to share with us that's important to share that you think is important to highlight about what this means for our water quality that you haven't already talked about? Um, one thing I'd like to kind of uh, talk about just for anybody who's who's listening, if you see something weird, get a photo if you can, um, look it up, see if you see anything about it online. If you still can't find it, definitely reach out to people in the area who might know better, because uh, sometimes it is something new or interesting. A lot of times, researchers working with these species, there's only so much data that's actually published in, in like studies and stuff. And so if you can make that connection, it might be actually something that could be useful to, uh, to the people working with these species. So uh, if you see something weird, don't keep it to yourself. Definitely share it. Hmm. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Eric, uh, for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Dr. John Hardick, thank you so much for taking the time and appreciate you for going in deep on this with me. Had a good conversation. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Carrie. Thank you so much. This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran with help from Emma Stein. Anjanette Delgado and Marianne Struman are our executive producers and Peter Batia is our editor. The music for the show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you like the show, please leave a rating, subscribe, share it with your friends and family. And, you know, if you're out and about 
and you see something weird, take a picture. We'll see you next week.